qualities that bring us comfort and peace, that give us a sense of safety and, and bring us a sense of welcome and belonging, love and acceptance. And, and then there's our scripture passage for today <laughs> that speaks of people perishing if they don't repent and of a fig tree whose fate is to just be completely cut down dug up out of the ground and removed from the garden if it does not produce fruit. And, and those words in Scripture, those words of Jesus, seem harsh at first glance, but it really is exactly the type of thing that a prophet would say. And, and Jesus said many things like this that were difficult for his hearers to understand, that are very difficult for us to understand sometimes, Things that we misunderstand many times. But a prophet speaks God's word to God's people. And we know that Jesus was the prophet. So he always spoke the truth. And he always spoke the truth in love. And so when we encounter hard to understand passages like this one from um, Luke 13. And listen, there are harder ones than this, aren't there? I mean, if you've read scripture at all, you have come across some very difficult passages. But we want to keep, we want to keep this in mind and remember that this is who our God is. This, we serve a God of love. We serve a God of compassion. We serve a God who desires that everyone would come into the family, that not one person would be left out of the kingdom. And so when we encounter difficult passages and we have a hard time and we think God's mean or, or overly harsh, maybe we're the one misunderstanding something and we are the ones that need to dig a little deeper into it. Now I've said it before and I'll say it again that, that a prophetic word is always... I can't think of one that's not necessarily uncomfortable, but it's an uncomfortable word. A prophetic word calls out something in us that is not in line with God's heart. A prophetic word exposes bad theology. A prophetic word calls us to take action against the sin and rebellion that has taken root in, inside of us. A prophetic word tells the truth about the consequences of not taking that action. And a prophetic word bumps up and rubs against our pride and our sense of self-leadership and self-lordship. And what Jesus is speaking here in many ways is a prophetic word. Everything Jesus said was a prophetic word, I suppose. But really, he's wearing that hat of a prophet here when he speaks this way. So, so at first glance, this might seem harsh, but we'll see today that this is a necessary word coming from someone who loves people. It is just the sort of thing a prophet who loves people would say because it is what they need to hear. It's what is best for them. And if they will truly listen and respond, then they will find freedom and they will find life. So... Our passage this morning is Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And let's just break this down a little bit to get a better understanding because there's some weird stuff in here. It'll probably confuse you a little bit. Verses 1 through 5 comprise the first section of it. And I don't know, if you've got your own Bibles with you and you see the little heading at the top, has anybody got their own Bible today? And you can look at the, 
Okay. Well, my Bible, <laughs> it's fine. You should bring your Bibles to church. But my, my Bible heading says, repent or perish. And I'm like, really, Bible translators? Was that the best title you could come up with? Because it just sort of brings us back into that whoa, kind of word. But here is the setting for verses 1 through 5. Jesus is out teaching. Large crowds surround him, and while he's in the middle of all this teaching, some people from the crowd inform him about an incident that has happened in the temple. Pilate had some people from Galilee murdered while they were offering sacrifices in the temple. Now, while there is not a lot of historical data uh, about this incident, most scholars say that Pilate saw these people as a political threat for whatever reason, and so he had them killed. And in other words, this is a current news story. This is big, big stuff that has just happened right there in their temple. And so they, these people have run to Jesus, and they're bringing it to him because they want to know, what's the rabbi going to say about this? What does he have to say about this? And what Jesus says is so interesting. He asks a question that no one seemed to be asking, right? If you look at the passage, it doesn't seem like anyone is asking this question, except they really were. Because, you see, there was a commonly held view that bad things came upon people who were sinners, people who were unrighteous. And those types of things didn't happen to good people or righteous people. More specifically, the thought was that those bad things were punishment from God for a person's sin. Now, I don't know if you remember our series on Job, uh, but that was the theological position that the author of Job was refuting and, and just tearing down through that entire book. And this was still a commonly held theological understanding in Jesus' day. If you go to John chapter 9, you see it come up when the disciples and Jesus are walking along and they encounter a man who was born blind. Remember this? And what's the question they ask Jesus? They point out the blind guy. Everybody knows he's been blind since birth. And they say, hey, Jesus, who sinned, that guy or his parents, that he was born blind? That seems odd to us, right? Until you understand this was their working theology, right? Jesus knew that. He knew that that would be the first thing on their minds. That those people somehow deserved what they got. He knew that they would be concerning themselves with, with how they compared to those people. And so he asked in verse 2, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? Well, he just goes ahead and answers the questions, No. He just flat out says, that is totally wrong. That's a completely wrong way to look at things. He says, but unless you repent, you're going to perish just as they did. And then he brings up another incident that they all would have known about, they all would have heard about. At some point, there had been a terrible accident, and the tower at Siloam had fallen down, and 18 people were killed when that tower fell down. And so he asked this, well, do you think that that um, those 18 people that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell, do you think they were worse offenders than all other people living in Jerusalem? Is that why they were killed? And he says, no. But unless you repent, 
you're going to perish like they did. So Jesus points out this commonly held theological assumption first and basically says you're asking the wrong question. That is the completely wrong angle to be approaching things from. That's just a distraction from the question you really need to be asking. You don't need to concern yourself with whether other people are sinners and how you measure up to them. Oh, you know, surely that happened to them because they were awful. And I'm not awful, am I? You know, God's probably mad at them. God's not mad at me, is he? Something like that wouldn't happen to me, would it? Like that takes you, that kind of thinking, that mindset, that theology takes you in all the wrong directions. And now you're pointing out who's a sinner. You're a sinner. You're worse. You're worse. Oh, that's real bad, right? That's where that takes you. Jesus says, that's a smokescreen. Here's the real question you need to be asking. Where's the sin in my life? And am I following God's heart? That's, that's where you're going to need to focus. And, and wherever you find that your heart is not in line with God's heart, wherever you find that there is sin in your life, Jesus says, repent, turn away from those attitudes, those behaviors, those mindsets that cause you to miss the mark. That is what the word sin literally means. We are so allergic to the word sin because it's been weaponized and we've used it in these negative ways I've just been talking about. Sin means you're missing the mark. Are we missing the mark? Are you missing the mark? I'm missing the mark. I know I am. I miss the mark in so many ways. And what does Jesus call? You know what? you got to acknowledge that and turn away from that. Repent of it. Turn your face, turn your heart towards God. Put your own house in order. Don't be worried about somebody else's house. Put your own house in order. Otherwise, you'll perish. And Jesus talking, he's talking about a spiritual type of perishing, isn't he? He doesn't mean unless you repent, a tower is going to fall on your head and kill you. Unless you repent, Pilate's probably going to come on and kill you while you're in the temple. He's not saying that. He's talking on a deeper spiritual level about true life and spiritual life. Y'all get that, right? That's why it's hard to understand sometimes. Now, that's very direct, though, isn't it, what Jesus is saying? But he doesn't leave it with that. He fills out the picture a little bit for them by telling them a parable about a man who had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and this fig tree wasn't producing fruit. And so the man tells the gardener uh, about this fig tree and he's frustrated just like Leslie has told us this morning. And he's been looking for three years for fruit from this tree and it's not been producing fruit. And so um, he tells him, tells the gardener, you know what, you just cut that thing down, it's wasting the soil, I'm sick of this. <laughs> And the gardener says, you know what? Let's just leave it for one more year um, until I, I can dig around it and I can water it and I can fertilize it and I can give it special care and I can nurture it and I can tend to it closely and give it special attention. And, and then let's see, then let's see if it produces fruit. And if it doesn't, you know what? Then after that, then you can go ahead and cut it down. So... What's, what's that parable about? It's not a parable about punishment. It's a parable about patience, isn't it? It's, it's a parable about God's 
patience, specifically about God's desire that everyone would be given everything they need to turn toward him, to do that repenting work that he has just been talking about that they need to do. It's a portrait of care and concern that the gardener, the one given the authority to cut that thing down, would say instead, no, let me have the opportunity to give this tree the special care that it needs. Let me take a year to do that and give it the best possible opportunity to produce the fruit that it was created to produce. God is that gardener. Jesus is that gardener. He's there. He's in the vineyard with them. He's nurturing them. He's watering. He's putting fertilizer down. He is doing everything he can to give them the best opportunity to repent and turn their faces and their lives back towards the Lord. And, and we know what they don't know at this point in the gospel story that he will go all the way to the cross to make that possible. That he will show extravagant grace and mercy and special care so that we would turn and not be left out of the kingdom. So it's a parable about patience and mercy and grace, but it's also a parable about urgency. You know, time will run out. Why? Because God's going to get fed up and he's going to lose it and he's just going to destroy everybody that's not getting their act together? No. We don't see God losing his temper like that, losing it. It is because God is on a mission to redeem his broken world and rid it of every form of evil. Heaven and earth will once again be brought together and there will be no evil when that happens. God will do this. The time is coming. In fact, the, the, it's drawing near, Jesus says. It's, it's really close. And so repent now and embrace the kingdom of heaven that has come to you and live your most fulfilling life. Bear fruit. Produce the good fruit that God has asked you to produce with your life. That is a burden-free life. That's you in your sweet spot. Live in your best life. So that's the passage. That's the passage for this morning. A call to repent. But to repent, we first have to have knowledge of the sin, right? We've got to acknowledge how we're missing the mark. And if there's one thing we're all really good at, it's failing to take an honest look at ourselves and our sin, individually and corporately. As a body, you know, it is so much easier to point out the flaws and the failings in other people and in other faith communities than to acknowledge the sin that is our own, isn't it? I can point out other people's failures all day long. It's hard to look at yourself with that same kind of awareness, but we can get better at this through the spiritual practice of attentiveness. Did you know attentiveness is a spiritual practice? Something Jesus said often as he taught was, let anyone with ears listen. Y'all read that before? Does that sound familiar? Do you have ears, he would say? Listen. Pay attention. 
Be attentive to the word of God. Listen carefully. Listen carefully to the sermons that, that you come to church to, to hear. Read and study scripture. Seek to integrate the teachings of Jesus with your own personal story and your shared humanity. You know, your shared history with all of humanity. When, when we're attentive, we become aware. Then, having heard and received the truth of Scripture, being attentive to that, we can admit, gosh, I'm a part of the problem. I'm a part of the problem. I've missed the mark in some way. I've got some sin in me that needs rooting out. And when we're aware of how we're missing the mark, individually and corporately, the proper response then is what? What do you think? Confession. Confession. You can't repent without confession. You can't turn away from sin without acknowledging and confessing it. And you know what always comes after a confession? It's not punishment. It's pardon. It's forgiveness. Did you all notice or do you remember about 45 minutes ago, we all participated in a corporate confession this morning? This is good for us. This is good for us, especially if we listen and we're attentive to the words that we're saying and not just reading stuff off the screen because the pastor said we're supposed to do that. Check. I checked off my confession box at church. You know, If we lean into that and we consider what it means and how does that apply to me, it's healing. Communal confession can be a powerful thing if we'll lean in, be attentive, and be willing to search our own hearts in the presence of the Holy Spirit and acknowledge our sin. Um, Brian McLaurin tells a story uh, about how a practice of communal confession helped an individual in his church find his own need for confession and pardon. And he has written it so well. I'm going to read this to you. It is it is so powerful. Um, he says this. The power of communal confession came home to me a few years ago when a man began attending the church where I was pastor. He'd held a responsible position in business and had also developed a secret addiction that led to criminal behavior. Law enforcement, it turned out, had been following his case for years. They showed up at his house one day and left with bags and boxes of evidence which precipitated a complete meltdown of his life. He resigned from his job in disgrace, awaiting trial and imprisonment, and became acutely suicidal, which is what sometimes it takes to bring people to a church asking for help. I had met with him in private for counseling and prayer, and one Sunday I happened to be seated near him when we came to this communal practice of confession in our service. The particular confession we used this day went like this. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Nobody else knew the drama of what it meant 
for this man to say these words, but I felt a shudder literally move through him, and I could hear the emotion in his voice, and intuitively I knew that he was experiencing a truth that I too have experienced. To frankly, directly speak the painful truth about my own darkness in the presence of God and in the presence of my peers is a powerful thing, a transforming thing. Without this kind of confession, speaking too freely and glibly of forgiveness can turn free grace into cheap grace. With it, an assurance of pardon completes the cycle of grace that is to the soul and to the faith community what the water cycle is to the biosphere. What could be more wonderful than to listen for and receive the assurance of God's mercy falling on the dried-out soul like life-giving rain? We've all missed the mark. We're all missing the mark in some way. And, and while that's bad news, and while some people will focus on that bad news and emphasize that bad news and shame you and guilt you and make you afraid with that bad news, what Jesus says is, yeah, acknowledge the bad news, but see that it is covered, saturated in good news. The good news of mercy and forgiveness. So I would just ask you, what do you need to confess to the Lord today? Whatever it is, whatever it is, trust him. Knowing that where there is confession, there is always pardon. Where there is repentance, there is forgiveness. Every time. Every time. Your situation, your sin, your missing of the mark is not the one thing that God's going to say, oh, except that. I forgot to mention that one. Yours, I'm stumped. I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. That's not going to happen. Where there is repentance, there is forgiveness. Where there is confession, there is pardon. So take whatever next steps the Lord needs you to take so that you'll be the fig tree who was given the special nourishment it needed, the special attention it needed, and who said, I'm producing fruit. I'm done with this fruitless life. I'm going to be exactly who I was created to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are surrounded by bad news. And Lord, I'm, I'm convicted today of how we are so, we have this tendency to turn bad news into worse news and to make you hostile and angry and our enemy. And Lord, you are far from that. You are love and grace and compassion. You speak the truth that we need to hear but you speak it with love and compassion because you want what is best for us. Help us lean into that, Lord, and to trust you completely with all of our sin. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.